Last week, we, you know, we started, I started on this series called The Beatitudes, uh, and the thing is about, I had this love, oh, so, <laughs> I purposely chose these Beatitudes because they're very uncomfortable, they're very unpleasant, you know, they're very hard teachings of Christ, so I figure if I preach like the toughest things, that maybe some of the toughest things that Jesus talked about and they don't like me, then, you know, but somehow if I make it here, then maybe it is God's will. Anyway, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tough series. Because God actually, you know, what Jesus says really is some black and white stuff. And we talked about why that's so important. I just think it's important because church these days, sometimes we don't even know what's real. We don't know what really counts. We don't know what God really thinks about certain things. Sometimes we get lost in church culture and Koreanness and all that stuff. But, you know, what I would like for us to return to is what Jesus Christ says, black and white. You know, and when he first started preaching, you know, I don't know why he decided to, you know, say these 8 or 9 or 10, 11 statements and they, they kind of connect, but they kind of don't sometimes. But yet, they're very black and white. And so I thought we'd start out that way to share with you exactly what Jesus Christ thinks about faith and about Christianity. So last week, uh, so today's verse is the next one, Matthew 5, 4. Let's read that together. The word of God reads, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you'll... Just really lift our hearts so that we could see you and hear from you. And God, uh, we pray that you'll just really speak to us and encounter us in a way that makes us want you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week we studied the first beatitude of Christ, right, and, and Nathan was kind enough to share those things. And we learned through it that God's joyful approval over us, which is what the word blessed means, right, God's joyful approval over us is... Um, is over those who truly understand that they need Jesus Christ, okay? Over those people who truly understand they need Jesus. And that beatitude is first because it's the foundational attitude that we need, not only to be saved, but especially if we want to grow in Christ. It's absolutely foundational. And if you think about it, it really makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you don't know that you actually need Jesus, then whatever you learn in church whether it's like, you know, good things or good teachings or good cultural things, it's just like religious good stuff. You know, I was going to say like religious fodder or something, but really it doesn't count for much. I mean, if you don't really know that you need Jesus, who cares if you're good? Who cares if you pray a certain way or not? Who cares if you even attend church? You know, if you don't understand that you need Jesus at the core of your being, then none of this stuff will really make sense and none of it kind of counts either. So, uh... Knowing, Jesus, knowing that you need Jesus really is the foundational attitude, the foundation of everything that goes on in the spiritual life, okay? Um, last week we learned that if you have that, the doors of heaven opens to you. And not only that, but this is exactly how God wants you to come, not only the first time, but every time. It's absolutely essential foundation. Okay, so now that we know that, we're going to tackle the second beatitude, which says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. How many of you heard this verse before? I hear it at every funeral I go to. I don't know if you're like that too. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And it's true. God loves comforting those who are going through tough times. God is close to those who are brokenhearted. God has compassion for those people. But that's not what Jesus is talking about in this verse when he preached it. Okay. The first beatitude highlights the importance of us knowing how much we need Christ 
This beatitude takes it a step further. It takes a little, it's a little bit harsher, too, because it highlights the importance of us being broken over our own sinfulness. Okay? So um, that's what this verse is about. You guys ever watch that show, 60 Minutes? Anyone? Oh, good. <laughs> I, I, whenever that show's on, I change the channel. Anyway, so <laughs> I, I, wa I, watched, I never watched this show. I, I found this particular illustration on the internet. So, you know, I don't watch this show. Uh, in the United States, 60 Minutes exists there as well. And there was an episode about 10 years ago uh, about this Auschwitz survivor named Yehiel Dinur. Okay? Auschwitz is a concentration camp where, they killed, where the Nazis killed Jews in World War II. Okay? If you don't know that, wow. You need to, <laughs> you need to go back to history. Anyway. Oh, that's what happened. Anyway, so this, this one survivor from Auschwitz, he was actually invited to be a, a key testimony witness against one of the soldiers that put Jews to death. His name was Adolf Eichmann. And the place where he was testifying was a place called the Nuremberg War Crime Trials, okay? Uh, you can look all that up in, on Google. Anyway, so it's a, it's a trial. But what you see in this, in this 60 Minutes episode is the video of this 1961 trial, 20 years after the horror of Auschwitz, and you see this Yehiel Denur guy walking into the courtroom, and he comes face to face with Adolf Eichmann, the guy who put so many to death. And what you saw in the video was you saw uh, this, uh, this Jewish man, uh, Denur, he sees him, and they, they lock eyes, and then all of a sudden, uh, this Jewish man starts to sob uncontrollably. Uh, and he goes, he goes crazy in tears, and then he faints right in the middle of the courtroom. And so the question is, why do you think he reacted so violently when he saw this man? And was it because he was filled with hatred because of what this guy did? Was he filled with fear because of what this guy did? Was it because he had so many memories of people who passed away? But the, an the answer that he gives is actually very, very huge. It was something that no one expected. Um, this is what he said. He said, all at once, at that moment, when he saw Adolf Eichmann, Eichmann was not this godlike army officer that put millions to death as he knew it. When he came face to face with Adolf Eichmann, he saw him simply as another human being. And then he said something that absolutely shocked the American nation. Um, he said, in that moment when he saw this man, he became afraid of himself. And that's why he reacted so violently. Why was he afraid of himself? Because he realized that at that moment, he was capable, just as capable, to do exactly what Eichmann had done to so many. And then he said, I realized that in that moment, I was exactly like he. And then if you fast forward to the end of the 60 Minutes episode, the guy hosting the episode, he says, and it's very obvious that there is an Eichmann in all of us. Right? And if you understand what he's saying, and if you understand what he's saying here, you understand that it captures the central truth about man's nature. You know, we are all sinners. We are all corrupted to the core of our beings, right? We all have the capability of doing evil way beyond what we think we can, right? Just look at the toilet paper videos on Facebook, whatever. You know, we have that ability within us because there's nothing good within us. And it makes sense because that's exactly what the Bible says about us. You know, in the book of Genesis, when Adam was created, he was created perfectly, without sin. He communed with God perfectly. He loved it. And there was nothing to be ashamed of. But the moment he took a bite of the forbidden fruit, what happened? All of a sudden, he ran. Right? No one told him to run. He just ran. 
He hid from God. He made some clothes for himself. He just tried to hide as much as he could. Why? Because in that moment when he bit that fruit, all of a sudden he became aware of his own sinfulness. He understood that he was a sinful person through and through before this holy God. And he realized for the first time how wretched and sinful he was before God. And so he runs and he hides. And if you get those two stories between Denur and, and Adam, then I think you get the thrust of what Jesus is trying to say here in this verse. And what he's saying is this. He's saying only those people, only to those people, just like Denur, who come face to face with their own sinfulness and all of its wretchedness, only to those people will forgiveness and eternal comfort be made available. That's what this verse is talking about. So in the second beatitude, Jesus is conveying the necessity of understanding the horror of one's own sinfulness. But, you know, we need to understand that it's not just the horror of realizing that we're sinful. And it's not just the horror of realizing that, you know, we're, we're bad, or quote-unquote, we're bad ourselves. But the horror that he's talking about here truly comes from realizing how much our sinfulness offends a holy God. This is what's really important, okay? How much our sinfulness offends a holy God. You know, about my seventh year, I was a youth pastor in Chicago. This was like 1999 or something. <laughs> That's a long time ago. Is that, was, were people born after 1999 in this room? Oh, okay. Well, I may look young, but I'm not young. Anyway, it was my seventh year back. I was a youth pastor in Chicago. And this student after service had come up to me, and she's, like, crying. And so, you know, obviously I was very concerned because I thought my message was a very encouraging one. But, you know, she's crying. And, she, and so she's like, what's wrong? I was like, what's wrong? And she's like, Eddie, can I talk to you in private? And I said, okay, let's go to my office. And then, you know, we sat down, and she just proceeded to tell me, all the ways that she's been compromising in her faith, all the ways that she's been sinning profusely for, like, the past, like, three months. And, you know, I'm listening to all this, and, you know, I was like, okay, okay, okay. And then when she was finished, I said, hey, but you know, I know you believe in Jesus. So you're, you're forgiven. Nothing's changed. He loves you, you, you know, and it's wonderful. How much, nothing's changed. And so if you simply repent, you know, God will use you powerfully to do mighty things for his name because you're his child. And I'm, I'm affirming her with all these things about the gospel. And then to my surprise, she says, yeah, 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 I know all that. <laughs> and I was like, okay, then why are you in my office crying? And, you know, why, why do you want to meet with me? And then what she said kind of surprised me. She said this. She said, I simply wanted to tell you all these things because I wanted your forgiveness. And I said, my forgiveness? I didn't do anything. You didn't do anything against me, but why do you want my forgiveness? And she said, uh, she basically said that she, even though she had done all these things to herself and to God, what made her felt, what made her feel the most sorry and most ashamed was because she felt as if she had disappointed me. It was like one of those really like most flattering moments I've ever had in ministry. And I, you know, it's, I felt bad to feel good at such a bad moment. But, you know, it, that's how I felt. Uh, I was very immature too, you know, as a young pastor. But I was pretty overwhelmed by that. But, you know, but the thing is the realization that she came to that day is exactly what God wants all of us to know in this verse. That sin is not just a bad thing that we do, okay? That our sinful nature is not just something that causes us to be bad. That's not the point. But that sin and that the totality of our sinful nature is, what, is really what is at the heart of, of, of what offends a holy God. It's really at the heart of what disappoints 
our God, right? Our sin and our sinful nature completely offends a holy God. And so what Christ is asking us when he says this verse today is how does that reality make you feel? You know, it's a very subjective thing. Does your understanding of your comprehensive sinfulness before this holy God, does it break you? You know, does it absolutely shatter you to the core of your being? And that's what Jesus is asking us today. Does it make you mourn in such a way as if your life is over? It's pretty radical, right, for those kinds of questions. They're pretty radical. I didn't get that in that verse. But this is the proof. It says, blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. Did you know in the Greek language there are nine words that translate as mourn. The Greeks are very, very passionate people. They're very emotional people. There are nine words that literally you translate as mourn. On one side of the spectrum, there's mourn, which means kind of means like, oh, I kind of regret. And then nine words later, on this side of the spectrum, this word for mourn actually means to wail uncontrollably and to be absolutely inconsolable. Okay? Nine words. Can you guess which word in that spectrum, Jesus is using in this particular verse. You can think it's this one. It's not. It's this one. He uses, out of the nine verbs he could have chosen for the word mourn, he used the most radical form of the verb. Right? And, but the question is why? Why would Jesus choose the most radical form of this verb mourn to, to convey this message? Is it because he likes seeing us, like, you know, just like, wail uncontrollably and just be inconsolable? And obviously the answer is no. But... Here's the reason why. He likes it because having a reaction like this to our own sinfulness, when we genuinely realize the wretchedness of our own sinfulness, uh, it reveals that we understand to the core of our beings how much we have deeply and comprehensively not just disappointed God, but offended God with our sinfulness. And we feel absolutely, absolutely shattered about that. Do you guys understand that? And so the question is, why is that so important? Why is this person blessed in God's eyes? And here we go. And here's the answer. Because only people who are truly broken by the magnitude of their sinfulness begin to embrace the magnitude of what it took to be forgiven. It's huge. Right? That's why people, when they hear the gospel about Jesus, like, yeah, 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 whatever. And you can walk away from church like that. I don't know how many times I did that. But unless you truly understand the magnitude of your sinfulness before this holy God, only then do you really understand the magnitude of what it took for God to send his son to die for us. You know? So, you know, can you imagine if this Jewish dude, this Yehiel Denur guy, all of a sudden gets up after fainting in this courtroom, goes over to Adolf Eichmann and says, hey, I'm going to forgive you. Not only am I going to forgive you, but I'm going to love you with all that I have. I'm even going to kill my own son to prove to you that I forgive you. And not only am I going to forgive you for what you did to all those Jews, but I'm going to forgive you for everything that you've ever done in your life. And the thing is, I'm going to actually sacrifice my son to show you how much I really mean it. And the thing is, I'm doing all that because I want you to know how much I love you. But maybe even more than that, I want you to truly love me back. And I want you to realize that my love for you is so much greater than every, all the sins that you could have done, even the most wretched of them, which you did. And I'm going to actually kill my son to prove that to you and to show that to you. Does that even make sense? 
Do you think any human being would do that? No, of course. It's absolutely ridiculous. I would never kill any of my sons for any of you. Sorry. You know, I'm, I, you know, but I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't kill any. I wouldn't kill my kids for anybody I pastored. You know, which is well, I wouldn't. Okay, so I'm not God. I'm not Jesus. Uh, but that's what Jesus is talking about here. It's one thing to be overwhelmed by the depth of our own sinfulness, but the moment that you realize that God, the one that we offended, instead of retribution in any single way, decide, made this decision to love us, made this decision to forgive us, made this decision to convey this message to us that we are unconditionally loved, forgiven, accepted, and to prove it, sacrificed his own child so that we could have this physical historical memory of what God did. And that's huge, right? And it is the magnitude of that sacrifice and the ridiculousness, if you think about it, of that initiative that truly harnesses the grace that could capture our hearts forever. And that's why God did it, right? And if that's the case, and if we truly understand that, then really Calvary, the place where Jesus died, is much more than the place where we could be forgiven of all of our sins, isn't it? It becomes the altar where we could spend the rest of our lives being continually broken, being continually humbled, and obviously being continually thankful for, what, for who God is, for his commitment to us and his love for us that never changes so that we could literally give our lives to him. And that's why every single day as we grow in maturity as a Christian and every single day as we grow in our understanding of our own sinfulness, that's what Paul says, we realize that grace is truly increasing within our lives. Why? Because there's no way that our sinfulness can keep up with God's grace. It's that much greater. It's that much bigger. Right? And if it is, then every single day that we come to his, him utterly broken about our sinfulness and our offense towards him, and we realize how much greater his grace is and his love for us is, and that it's never changed, but is always 100% towards us, then all that could ever happen in that exchange is an increase in my thankfulness, increase in my humility, and an increase in my devotion and worship to Christ. That's what this was all about. Do you guys understand this? Only those who truly realize the magnitude of their sinfulness realize the magnitude of what it took to be forgiven. And then in turn, understand the magnitude of the worship that Christ really deserves from every single person that he died for. You know, and hopefully we go on to actually live those lives that give him that kind of pleasure and glory. So if you really get that, then hopefully, just like I said last week, you, hopefully you totally see that salvation and faith in Christ is so much more than believing in a set of facts, you know? And maybe salvation and faith in Christ can never be just believing in a set of facts, no matter how true those set of facts really are. People who kind of just believe in a set of facts go on to live the exact same lives that they did before they agreed with those facts. But if one truly realizes how poor he really is and that his poverty offends a holy God, but that the love of God and the grace of God towards us and for us is so much greater, then we can spend the rest of our lives, our earthly lives here, Living in a way that makes him greater, that gives him glory, that gives him pleasure. And even though he might call us blessed, really, it is our privilege and our honor to be 
blessed. I guess to be his, you know. And so what this verse says is for those who realize all those things for the rest of our earthly lives, we can be comforted by his love, comforted by his forgiveness, comforted by that grace, and comforted especially by the Christ who brings all those things to us and makes it possible. You guys understand that? This is the gospel. That's what it is. People who knew they were absolutely screwed, people who knew they were absolutely screwed in their sins, but that God, you know, People who knew they were absolutely screwed in their sins, but that God, out of his love for us, you know, ridiculous love for us, sent his son to save us so that we could know his love and be continually embraced by it. So that we could love him and be continually overwhelmed by him. So that we could be comforted so comprehensively that all we'd want to do is live lives of worship. This is the gospel. Do you guys get this? Do you guys understand this? Oh, my God. You know, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Do you guys get that verse now? It's much bigger than what you thought when we started, right? It's absolutely awesome. So just to be absolutely clear, the, that comfort comes in three forms. Number one, it comes with immediate forgiveness. For those who put their faith in Christ, all of our sins, past, present, future, comprehensively. You know, God wipes it as far as the east is to the west. We are forgiven comprehensively of all of our sins. And so for that, from that day forward, we can live completely free of shame. You know, we can live completely free of punishment. We are absolutely forgiven. Secondly, uh, the comfort comes in the form of a relationship with Christ. You know, when we put our faith in Christ, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit now dwells within us. God is actually alive in us. You know, and I love that because from that day forward, we can walk with him. We can commune with him. He speaks to us. He shares his thoughts with us, his heart with us. And we can talk to him. You know, he empowers us to live our lives you know, for his glory. And he does everything that we can so that we can overcome life's and faith's challenges within our lives. And especially in times like these with this whole coronavirus action, you know, not only, it, even in the midst of the greatest fear and this huge pandemic that's actually worldwide, you know, he continually comforts us by his spirit. Not so that we can live overcoming fear, but so that we can actually live being generous to others, loving to others, so we can live like Christ and maybe even walk into darker places that we normally never would have, but that happens when the Spirit of God is alive in us. You know, it's beautiful, the relationship we have with Christ. He comforts us with him. Lastly, salvation. That's the third comfort. God assures all those who have faith in Christ that we will celebrate and worship Christ for an eternity in heaven with him. And if we know that when we die, that we'll go to heaven, you know, that really allows us to live our lives here on earth with everything that we have. Because we always know no matter what happens, we're going to go to a better place. You know, it's awesome. So what began as grief over our own spiritual state gets transformed into celebration because of Christ. What began as sorrow over our sinfulness quickly turns into thanksgiving because of the forgiveness and the security that we have in Christ and the absolute love of God. What began as an understanding of our comprehensive sinfulness that offends a holy God now gets replaced by his comprehensive comfort, his unchanging love, and his joyful approval. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Cool? Do we all understand that is the word of God? So not only do we have, here's, so here's the big lesson, not only do we have to be poor in spirit, but we also have to be broken by that. These are the doorways to grace. These are the doorways to eternal peace with 
God. So let's learn to be poor in spirit. Let's learn to be mournful every days, every day of our lives. Amen? Let's pray. You know, once again, I love the Beatitudes because they're so black and white. And maybe you've been here two weeks. Maybe you've only been here one week. Who knows? You know, I hope that the way you feel right now is either really affirmed or really challenged. And if those two things are happening, any one of those two things are happening, then I think that God is here. He's working upon your heart. It's a good thing. You know, if the message affirms you, will you just be thankful and just thank him? Ask him to help you, you know, live out your calling even more. But if the messages are really challenging and you feel a little bit challenged, you feel uncomfortable, then can you ask him to just continually draw you closer to him? Just be honest, you know, with him, with your heart. And can you ask him to work on your heart so that you can one day really be completely his, so that one day you really can be overwhelmed by his grace, so that one day you can truly realize how sinful you are before this holy God, and you can then be able to see very clearly how much he loves you, how much he cares about you, how awesome Jesus is to the point where all you'd want to do is surrender your life to Christ. If that's not happening, can you ask God to do that? That's why you're here, right? That's why you came to church. And lastly, you know, if today for some reason you you just feel like, you know, I just want to give my life to Jesus, will you do that? Repent of your sins. Surrender to him. Give your life to him. And if that's something that you're choosing to do, can you tell one of your spiritual leaders, you know, that you did that? Let's pray. Let's just spend some time talking to God together. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you, and we, and I pray for those people in this room. We always hear all the time at church that, you know, we're sinners and, you know, all that stuff. But God, sometimes it doesn't resonate within our hearts. You know, we know it in our minds, but our hearts don't feel like, we don't feel like we're sinners. Or if we do, it's only to these worldly standards that our churches tell us is bad. But we don't realize the deepest core of our being, how offensive that is to a holy God. Lord, I pray for those people who might feel like that in this room. God, open up their spiritual hearts and their spiritual eyes to truly see how much they as a sinner offended you, God. But more importantly, God, help them to realize and see the grace of Christ, your love for them. That really is absolutely ridiculous. And Lord, to, to, to the point where they all they would want to do is not only receive it and know and feel how unworthy they are too, but more than that, really be so confident in your love and be so thankful because of it. 
and every single day, you know, be able to walk so beautifully in your spirit. Lord, we pray, God, that you would do that within the lives of every single person in this room. God, we pray, make them alive in Christ. Only you can do that. And Father, we pray for those who are believers here. Help them to truly continue to live in such ways that bring you glory, that make you greater. Especially with all this darkness around us and all this fear around us now. Help us to truly be salt. Help us to truly be light, God. That shows how beautiful and awesome Jesus truly is. And Father, we pray that you'll just give us the courage to do that as a result of this grace. And God, that you'll give us the boldness and the love to do that as a result of truly experiencing once again how much we're loved by you. We just thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray.